although this past Shabbat, each and every one of us, seemed to be another Shabbat, a little bit out of the ordinary because the clock was changed, and to get used to candle lighting at 4.20-something is already a little bit of a change. And then there was that beautiful long Friday night, and how Shabbat day was so short. But outside of that, Shabbat seemed to be another Shabbat of the year. However, in Eretz Yisrael, and in the city of Hebron particularly, this past Shabbat was literally the biggest Shabbat of the year. Parashat Chayesara, in the city of Hebron, the festivities, the celebration, the entire city is celebrating from the moment Shabbat begins till it ends. What are they celebrating? The purchase of Ma'arat HaMachpelah. The signature on the city of Hebron. The Ir Ha'avot. It's the city of our forefathers. The city of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The ones that are buried in Ma'arat HaMachpelah. It's amazing if you took a good look last week. Every time in the parasha that the Ma'arat HaMachpelah is mentioned... The Torah goes over again and repeats again and again and again. Asher kana Avraham Efron Achiti. Every single time. Like a broken record. Because Boreolam knew good and well. And the Torah, every letter is words of prophecy. Hashem knew that one day this city, and especially Ma'arat HaMachpelah, is going to be a tremendous debate on who it belongs to, who it's shayach to, and who should hold the control of Ma'arat HaMachpelah and the city of Hebron. Until today, we fight over it with the Arabs. Today, if you were to go to Ma'arat HaMachpelah, you have to go with all different types of security. To walk into the Ma'arat itself is not simple. You walk into a big room, and over there you have the Arabs literally all across the floor on their carpets, and they're positioned there all day. It's very dangerous. Most of the Ma'arat during the year is not even open. Only certain parts. You can get to Avraham Avinu. That's always open because the Arabs allowed that to be open because that's their claim. But if you wanted to go, let's say, to Yitzhak Avinu, now, how shameful it is to say this. But now Yitzhak Avinu's Me'ara is only opened twice a year. Could you imagine that? In the land of Israel, with the Israeli government, with the Israeli military, with the Israeli army, you would think that we control the land, right? It's our state, our country. And yet, they dictate when Yitzchak is open and when he's closed. It's only open twice a year. They allow it to be open Cholamoed Sukkot and Cholamoed Pesach. That is it. And because of that, you can imagine that those two times of the year, people come flocking from all over Israel because it's an opportune moment. Because after that, you can't go again until the next Cholamoed. But what a shame. And Torah knew this was coming. And Torah knew this would be a tremendous debate. And boy, is this a fight. And therefore, again and again, the Ma'ara, Asher Kana, Avraham, Efron, Achiti, again and again, to remind us, this belongs to you. This is your claim. This is your avot. What does this mean to us? This means everything to us. Because ladies, I want to tell you, it's not just about the city of Hebron, but it's about who we are. In Judaism, we're built on roots, and we're a well, well-rooted people. Matter of fact, our claim to fame, our roots, 
In Judaism, we believe, nitkatnu hadorot. We believe that as the generations go on, we get smaller. But do you know where we originated from? We originated from giants. The Goim are exactly the opposite from us. The Goim believe that as generations go on, they get wiser and smarter and more techno-savvy. But if you go back in time, they call the earlier generations primitive, foolish. They call them, like Darwin's theory, they originated from apes. And that was exactly the story that happened with the great Gadol of America. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, Zechet Sadik Lebracha. Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was on a flight. He was flying to Israel. And around him was sitting his children, his family, his grandchildren. And right there in the section, there was an Italian man, a Goy. And the Goy was watching and he was in awe how the great Gadol, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, his children were taking care of him hand over foot. Every time the rabbi wanted something, they ran. Another cup of water, a blanket, a pillow. Every two minutes they came up to the rabbi. How are you feeling? Can I get you something? And he was amazed. He was like, wow, what, what did this guy do? He didn't know who the rabbi was. He didn't know that this is from the Gedolim of America. He didn't know that this was one of the chief rabbis of the entire generation. He just saw a rabbi with his kids and grandkids. And every moment, the entire focus of the whole section of family was just around the father. And he was like, wow. And, and I don't know if you know this, the Italians, they come from this culture. If you know a little bit about the Italian culture, if you know a little bit about the Godfather, if you know a little bit about you know, where they come from, it was all about that respect that they wanted to have from kids to parents and especially to the father. So when they see that this Jewish rabbi has it and then some, they were amazed. And this Italian man was amazed. He, could, he, couldn't, he couldn't believe his eyes. So finally, in the middle of the flight, a man gets up and he walks up to the great Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the Rosh HaYeshiva of Torah Vadat, Zechet Sadik Lebracha. And he says to him, Rabbi, tell me the secret. <laughs> I don't understand. He says, I would give anything in the world to be able to have that respect that you found in your kids and grandkids. I saw from the minute you got on this plane till this very moment, they've been literally serving you hand over foot. They've been looking to your every need. What is it? What did you do? I want to know. I want this with my kids. Matter of fact, he says, these days, he told them, I have one kid in jail. I have another kid out in uh, St. Louis, he said, someplace far away. I got grandkids that don't talk to me. And he was telling the rabbi all his tzarot from all his kids. He said, how did you get it? So Yaakov Kamenetsky said to him something brilliant, brilliant. He said to him, the difference is not so much in the way we brought our kids up, but it's the difference in what we believe in. He says, I believe that the early generations were greater as they went up. The further back you go in history of Judaism, the greater the people were, all the way back to Abraham, to Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And therefore, when my kids look up to me, they look up to a generation that was that much closer to the original generation of great men. I'm one step back, one step closer to greatness, and therefore, their respect for me is overwhelming. But what do you believe? You believe that man comes from an ape. 
you believe in Darwin's theory. And if that's the case, your children look up to you and say, ha, he's one generation closer to the monkey. And if that's the case, he should be respecting me. I'm more, I'm more man than he is. I'm more perfect. If you know a little bit about evolution, Darwin's theory is, is that as time goes on, evolution literally transforms that which was to a better future. Evolution, it evolves to something more perfect. And therefore the kids think that they're more perfect than the parents because they're one generation past the previous. When the guy heard that, he was, he was, wow, Rabbi, what an answer. What a brilliant answer. What a Gadol's, you know, uh, insight, I would say, to how he explained it to this guy. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Our roots. And you're thinking to yourself, Rabbi, you know, why are you telling us this? We know this. I know you know it. But do you live it? That's what I want to know today. You see, every time we open up a Siddur, and we go to praying from Hashem, well, what is the pinnacle of all prayers? The Amidah, there's no question about it. The pinnacle of all prayer is the Amidah. Every single tefillah evolves itself around the Amidah. And if that's the case, think for you, think for a moment. How do we begin that amazing Amidah prayer? Each time, three times. Hashem sifatai tiftach. Hashem, please, open up my lips. Ufi yagid tihlatecha. Give me the words to properly speak your praise. In other words, I'm asking permission to speak. And right then and there, before we go on, that should stop you. That should give you a little bit of a heads up that when I come into an Amidah, I don't run into it. You know what the halacha states? If a person is late for shul, they come into shul, they're late, and the shul just started Amidah. So you want to catch up to them. So you don't come running in and three steps back, three steps forward, and then jumped into it. No, no, no. Amidah is not something you jump into. You got to stop. You got to collect your thoughts. You got to literally get yourself set and ready. You're coming in front of the King of Kings. You have to come in with a mindset. What reminds you of that amazing moment that you're coming in front of Melech Malchiam Elachim? Hashem, Sefatai Tiftach. I, I cannot speak the proper words, nor do I have permission to speak in front of you, Hashem. When you go into a courtroom, a courtroom of men, forget about a big courtroom. I'm not talking about Supreme Court. I'm talking about traffic court, okay? You go down to the DMV. You're sitting in front of a guy who's not even a real judge. He's only an arbitrator. But let's just say we'll call him judge because, you know, at the end of the day, he's the one that decides, he thinks he decides, what's going to go on with my points or not. Okay, fine. So I'm sitting in front of a minor judge in traffic court. Can I just walk in and start blabbering as I want? No way. Oh, boy. Oh, Forget about contempt of court. Forget about you're going to lose a case on the spot. They'll find you. They might even arrest you. My friend, you're standing in front of a judge. Where's your respect? You have to say, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? Your Honor, may I speak? When permission was granted, then you can speak. And yet, I'm coming in front of the King of Kings, not some guy, some judge, some sketch. I'm coming in front of Hashem. The King of Kings! Hashem. Sifatai Tiftach. 
please. You open up my lips. I'm requesting permission to speak. Put the right words in my mouth to be able to give your praise. Stop for a moment. Feel your lips beginning to open. And then, Baruch Atah Hashem. Baruch. You are the Mikor, the source of all blessing. No, Baruch doesn't mean bless. No. Baruch means that you are the source of all blessing. Baruch comes from the word Brecha. Brecha is a pool, right? You ever see when a pool overflows? There's a pool of blessing in heaven. And it overflows onto the Jewish people when we make a blessing. That Brecha is activated by our Baruch. Hashem, you are the source of that pool of overflowing blessing. Baruch, Ata, you and only you. There's no one else God but you that's in charge. You're in control, nothing else, nobody else. Hashem, Yudke Vavke, that is the name of mercy. You're my merciful Father. Ah, Elokeinu Veloke Avotenu. Hashem, before I ask you what I need, I need to first introduce myself. I need to put on the table my qualifications to be allowed to be heard in the first place. You know what my qualifications are? This is it. Here's my resume. Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. You knew my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And I'm his great-great-great-great-grandkid. And because of him, I have a right to speak and ask my needs in front of you. It's in the Zichut of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the Avot Agdoshim. We are flaunting. We're kind of showing off in a good way. We're flaunting our lineage because that gave us rights to everything we're about to ask. So listen to that. Hakol kol Yaakov, the Hayadayim Esav. What is the strength of the Jewish people? Our tefillah, our mouths, our voice. Hakol kol Yaakov. Yaakov fights with his voice, with his tefillah, with his mouth. How does Esav fight? Hayadayim Esav. He fights with his hands. We fight with the power of the tongue. Where the tongue is sharper than the sword. And this is the way we begin every Amidah. We're showing our roots. We're showing our rights. We're rooted and therefore we have a right to speak. Eloke Abraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Yaakov. Ladies, I didn't come here today to give you a class on Biur Tefillah. Although we once did that, once upon a time, for a few years on Shabbat. We went through every single, I don't know if you remember that, every single Birachan Amida, and we said what the words meant, and we said all the Medrashim behind it, and we said exactly who authored each one of the blessings, and we said what Kavanot you're supposed to have, and we told stories about each blessing. Those were good days. <laughs> and maybe Bezat Hashem will bring it back. But nonetheless, that's not what I came here for. I came here for the concept of the roots. If you don't know your roots, you don't know your own DNA. And every time you look in the mirror, you don't even know who's staring back at you. You look in the mirror, you think you see you? No. You look in the mirror, you know who you see? The grandson of the greatest human beings that ever lived on planet Earth. You see a grandchild of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The giants. The ones that Hashem said the whole world was Kedai for them. Behi Baram says in the Pasuk over there in Bereshit. 
God created heaven and earth. Bihi baraam. Says the Midrash. Al tikre bihi baraam ela be'abraham. That the whole world was worth being created just for Abraham Avinu. And then there was Yitzchak. And let's not forget Akedat Yitzchak. And then there was Yaakov, which was considered the greatest of all the Avot Akdoshim. Damud HaTorah, Yaakov Avinu. Wow, who we come from. And therefore, don't ever forget who you come from. Like this, don't ever forget the way you're supposed to carry yourself. Because when you remember who you are, you'll know what we're not supposed to be chasing, what we're not supposed to be looking up to, and who we really do look up to, who we come from. And if you really think about this for a few minutes in depth, you'll never look up to another Hollywood celebrity in your life. Because then you look at their lives. On screen, they look wonderful. But all of a sudden, you take a step back and you look in the papers and you find out that they can't keep a marriage for more than 28 days. And then you find out that they spend their lives in their limousines going from one rehab center to another rehab center. And you ask yourself, who am I looking for? Who am I looking up to? Who am, I, who am I fashioning myself after? Who am I imitating? Who am I trying to appear to be like? Like that. Do you know who I come from? I come from the cosmos. I come from supermen. Why am I fashioning myself after petty people? And you have to think about this. Because you'll carry yourself differently. You'll remember that you're a princess. You're a prince. You come from kings. That's what a Jew is all about. So let me tell you this amazing story. Oh, I'm so happy you came this week. This week I have for you a grand slam. Something unbelievable. Ay, Davot Doshim, the city of Hebron. I remember many years ago I was lucky enough I was in Eretz Yisrael as a Bachur for about almost four years before I came back. And then Baruch Hashem, I met my wife. And we got married here. And then I went back to Eretz Yisrael for another three and a half years in Kolel. And then finally I came back here again. It's amazing to me. When I was a Bachur in that time, one Shabbat, a friend of mine told me, Hey, Dovi, let's go to Hebron this Shabbat. This week is Parashat Chayesara. So, ooh, I heard about this week. Wow, they go crazy over there. Yeah, wow, this is amazing. Let's do it. They had buses coming from all over Israel. We jumped on one of those buses. We went out to Hebron. Ladies, I want to tell you something. I walked into shul. The festivities started in the middle of the tefillah. They started dancing in the shul. It looked like a wedding. They were dancing. They danced outside. It looked like some hot Torah. They danced right outside the shul. And then the other shuls came outside into the street. And they were dancing. And everyone was dancing. I'm looking around like, what in the world went on with this town? It's, it's amazing because when you grow up in America, this Shabbat is just another weekend. <laughs> you come to Hebron and the place is popping. That night, every house, there were parties. You literally look like the Purim Suda. You go from house to house to house. And every house, you come, oh, come on in. They pull you in. Ma'ashem shulcha. Oh, me'amerika. Yeshlan oreach me'amerika. They hand you a beer and they tell you, is it as good as the American beers? And then, no. And we go every time and we start singing and dancing and kumzits. What a Shabbat. And, I, and this was 20 years ago when I was still single. Could you imagine today? I heard it's much more today. Ay, let me tell you something about this magical city, the city of our fathers. The city of our roots. 
the city of our roots. In the 1500s, at that time, the Sultan of Turkey, the Turkish Empire, was ruling a large part of the world. They were the superpower at that time. And Israel was under the Turkish rule. Now, the Sultan of Turkey, the king, so to speak, his nephew, they called him the Pasha, his nephew was the ruler at that time, or the governor of Israel. So the Pasha, the nephew of the king of Turkey, he was in charge in rule of the entire land of Israel in those years. And he would come every now and then to the city of Hebron, because obviously as an Arab and very devout to Islam, he would come to Marat, to Machpelah, because he felt claim to Abraham Avinu through Ishmael. So sure enough, no different today like then, he would come into Ma'anat HaMachpelah. And ladies, I don't know if you've seen this. I was lucky enough. The first time I ever went to Israel was the best bar mitzvah present that I've ever got in my life. It was given to me by my parents. My parents sent me at the age of 13 for my bar mitzvah present to Israel. That was the deal. The deal was that we have this big bar mitzvah. My father gets to keep all the presents. <laughs> and I get a ticket to Israel. That was the deal. And I, I, I really believed I got the better deal, I, I, honestly. He got, he, that summer, normally I went to sleepaway camp, but that summer, I was going to Israel. I went alone. It was at different times, you know. I went alone. I was staying there by my grandmother, Alea Shalom, my grandpa, grandfather, Alea Shalom, who lived at that time in Ramat Eshkol, right in the center of Jerusalem. And I went around touring, and I met up with friends. Oh, this was before the Intifada took place. That's right, I'm that old. This was before the Intifada took place. I was 13 years old at the time. That was the first time I ever went to Marat HaMachpelah. It was the first time I went anywhere in my life. It was my first time in Israel. Well, I remember that first time, and I'm telling you this in order to give you clarity on the story you're about to hear. When you walked in that big room, where all the Arabs had their carpets out, and they're sitting all over the place and praying all day over there, where they kind of turned it into a makeshift uh, mosque type of a thing, in the middle of the floor... It was a big hole. I don't know if you remember this. It's a big hole. Now, even at that time, when I was 13, I walked up, I was stepping over Arabs. I'm not joking, really. No, but at that time, it wasn't scary. It wasn't even, they, the Intifada didn't start yet. They actually moved aside to let you through. Yeah. It was before, you know. So, I stepped on from carpet to carpet. I felt like Aladdin. I was going from, <laughs> I, was going, I was going from carpet to carpet to carpet, and then I made it to the middle of the center of the room, and there was the big hole. And the hole had these bars. Now, you couldn't go through it. It was, it was barred off. But you were able to look down the hole. And you saw kind of a black hole there. But you saw a little bit of some sort of a silhouette of this cement-looking type of a staircase. That went its way down all the way underneath to the tunnel. Underneath Ma'anat HaMachpelah, where the Avot HaKdoshim are actually buried. And you were able to see it. Today, you can't even get into that room. Today, it's way too dangerous to go into that room. Nobody goes into that room because of the obvious reasons. Yeah. But nonetheless, in the 1500s, that hole in the floor was now barred off. It was opened. But everybody knew from history, many stories, that anyone that ever went down never came back up. So the Arabs knew it's, it's off limits. They guarded the hole, so to speak. And the most chashuv spot in the entire floor was the spot right next to the hole. Whenever the pasha would come 
to Hebron to pray on Fridays, of course. He would come in. Everyone would announce his presence. They would all stand up for his honor. They would spread the way. He would come in, roll out his carpet right next to the hole. And then he would get down on his hands and knees. And he would pray into the hole. Because he's praying directly to Ibrahim. Direct. I said that pretty good, right? Right straight, been in the right straight down in, in the hole. Turns out that this Pasha, he had a knife that was given to him as a present from the king of Turkey. It was given to him, and this was a knife. It was a royal heirloom. This knife demonstrated your status in royalty. Anyone who carried this knife showed that they were part of the royal Turkish family. It wasn't just a regular knife. It had, gold. It had little diamonds and precious stones on it. It was made out of gold. It was, it was something beautiful. And by far, you can imagine, that this was the Pasha's most valuable, precious possession. He had this knife on the inside pocket of his jalabiya that he used to wear. But this time, when he bent down onto all fours, praying inside the hole, you know what happened. The knife slipped right out of his pocket as he was bending over and went right down the hole, tink, tink, ta tink, tink, ta tink, 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 right down the steps, all the way into the tunnel underneath Marata Machpelah. Holy! The Pasha was in an uproar! He started screaming, my knife! That was the knife that was given to me by the king of Turkey, my uncle. I need, that, that, that's my, my, my claim to, to, to royalty, my, my prized possession, I need it back! Well, what do you think he does? He announces to all the Arabs in the room, the man that goes down, I'm going to award him. And he starts telling him all types of money and all types of gold. And you know the Arabs, he promises him in the next world, instead of getting 70, he's going to get 140. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say I'm in a shul, I can't talk. Uh, like, you know, but uh, but you, you, know, you know the rhetoric. You know, he starts promising him all types of things that only an Arab would want. And of course, there's a volunteer. So they bring this thick rope, and very similar to, they took this from us, of course, back in the days of the second Bayit, Bayit Shani, because the Kohen Gadol not always was the most righteous, because the Kehuna in those days was bought by money. So they would put a rope around the Kohen Gadol's waist, and when he would go in on Yom Kippur, to Kodesh Kodashim, if he wasn't worthy enough, and he would die, they would pull him out like this. They'd be able to get the body back. They'd be able to actually bury him. But they had a system. It was a pulley system where every now and then they would give a tug onto the rope and then the Kohen would tug back. Now, if you don't get the tug back, that means he's no longer tuggable and you, you, you're going to have to pull him out of the water at that point because he's, he's kaput. He's gone. So they decided to do this system with this Arab. They wrapped this thick rope around his waist and they lowered him down onto the steps, and they lowered him down under Marat the Machpelah to go and retrieve the knife. As the Arab is going down, they pull, he pulls back, they pull, he pulls back. After two minutes, they pull, no pull back. They pull again, they start screaming down the hole, Ahmad! They pull, nothing. Shlonak! Kifak! Pull! Nothing. I don't know. <coughs> this point, they pull him up. They pull him up with a bunch of men. He's very heavy now. They pull him up and pull him up, and there he is, hanging at the end of the rope, dead. 
no knife, dead. They all got very nervous. Oh, now the Pasha has to pull out big money for the next volunteer. It's different when you see the first guy dead. Now he has to promise not 140 in the next world, a kingdom of, uh, in the next world, and he has to double the money and triple the money and give the guy titles and da 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 da. And he, sure enough, he finds another guy, Mejnun, that comes along and he's ready to go. He takes him, wraps him on the rope, they send him down, they pug, he tugs. Two minutes later, they pull him up. He's hanging at the end like a worm on a hook. He's dead. Unbelievable. They realize that this isn't working. And the Pasha, he's not ready to give up that knife. So he decided, you know what he's going to do? Rasha Merusha. Look at the Rashaim. Look what they are. Look what they are. He said, just like this place is holy to us, it's holy to the Jews as well. Why is this my problem? Let it be their problem. What did he do? He walked right out of Marat the He took his army and he came that night into the shul in Hebron. And he announced to the rabbi in the entire shul of Hebron, it's your fault that when I bent down and prayed, my royal knife fell down into the hole and went down on the Marat If the Jewish people don't return me my royal knife in exactly one week, one week from tonight, it's Friday night, Friday and Shabbat. One week from tonight, I'm coming back with my army. And next Shabbat, I'm going to wipe out the entire Jewish community of the city of Hebron, men, women, and children. You have one week to retrieve my, my knife. Oy vey. That Shabbat, no one slept. What a gezerah min hashamayim. What a decree on the Jewish people of Hebron. For the next three days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they had Yom Tefillah. They prayed and prayed and prayed. Wednesday and Thursday, Yom Tanit. Again, they prayed. They prayed. And then finally, after an entire week of praying and fasting and praying and fasting, they made a goral. They went and they drew lots. And they took the name of every single man in the city of Hebron. And they put it in this large pot. And they mixed the names around. And they wanted to find out from Shamayim which man, which Jewish man was destined to go down underneath Ma'arat HaMachpela. Because if not, you have Lo Aleinu, you have Gzerat Shmad. Go wipe out the whole city. You're going to save the whole Jewish city. Somebody has to go down. They draw the lot. And lo and behold, the name that comes out, Rabbi Avraham Azulai, the rabbi of the city of Hebron. It always falls on the rabbi for some reason. <laughs> The great Rabbi Avraham Azulai, the grandfather of the Chida. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Chida used to talk about his grandfather, Abraham Azulai. He said he was a Malach Hashem. He was a Gadol Hador. He wrote so many Svarim, his famous Svarim, the Chesed La Avraham. Svarim on Kabbalah. He, he, was, he, was, he was beyond what words can capture. He was a giant of a giant of a Gadol. Torah Nigla, Torah Nistar. He was unbelievable. And here he was, and all the eyes turned to the rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Azulai, and they said, Rabbi Abraham, Shamayim wants you to go down. Rabbi Abraham said, I accept Shamayim's decision. I'm going to go home now and say goodbye to my wife and children. 
I don't know what Shemayim is going to decide for me. He went home. He said goodbye to his family. He said goodbye to his congregation, to his people. And they all escorted the rabbi that Thursday night. And when the word got out that the famous Rabbi Abraham Azulai, the great Sadiq, is going down underneath Marat Machpela, the word spread like fire. The Pasha came with his whole army. They just wanted to watch this. They wanted to see what was going to take place. All the Arabs came from far and wide, from Jerusalem, from all over, from Gilo. They wanted to just see this moment. Marat Machpela that night was swarmed with thousands of people. And when the rabbi entered with his congregation, they opened up the crowd and they allowed him to enter. The rabbi walks into the big room. Rabbi Abraham Azulai comes up to the big hole in the floor and they wrapped the rope around his waist as well. And they told him, Rabbi, the Arab tells him, when I tug, you tug back. He says, Yahamor. <laughs> You took that from us. You're telling me the rules. You took that from the Kohen Gadol Bet HaMikdash. You're telling me the rules. You chutzpah, you. You, 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 you chutzpah. They lower the rabbi down onto the stairwell and down to the tunnel underneath Marat HaMachpelah. And the rabbi disappears into the, into the darkness. And every now and then they pull and he pulls back. And they pull and he pulls back. Oh, the rabbi's alive. He's down there five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Finally, the rabbi gives a big pull. And that was the signal. Pull up! Just then, they pull up. But the rope, instead of getting very heavy, it got very light. And they're pulling up the rope and pulling up the rope and pulling up the rope. And suddenly, the end of the rope comes out. And there was no rabbi. There was just the knife of the pasha wrapped and tied in the rope. The Pasha, he couldn't believe his eyes. He started jumping up and down. He was screaming, Allah, Akbar. He was going crazy. He grabbed the knife. He said, oh, I have to thank the rabbi. Oh, at that moment, the whole Jewish community was saved. This was a Yeshua, was unbelievable Yeshua. But uh, where's the rabbi? Everyone said, what happened to the rabbi? He pulled. He gave us the signal. That means he's alive. But isn't he coming back? An hour passed, and nobody moved. They just sat silent, waiting, just to see what's going to be. After an hour, they hear the voice of the rabbi at the bottom of the hole, and he screams to them, Throw me the rope. They throw down the rope. He puts it around his waist. They hoist him up onto the steps, and they pull him up on the top and pull him right out of the hole. And they saw on the face... Rabbi Abraham Azulai's face, this was at night. Rabbi Abraham Azulai's face was glowing like the sun. The Arabs said that they couldn't look at him. The Arabs all dropped on their hands on their carpets. Nobody spoke. Rabbi Abraham Azulai just simply walked out. Everyone followed him. Everyone from the shul, all the Jews walked right back out with the rabbi. And he went straight to his house. And he sits down on his table. And all the Jews of Hebron make their way into the rabbi's house and the surrounding areas. And they said, Rabbi, no, tell us, what did you see? What happened down there? How did you live? How did you survive? How did you make it out alive? Rabbi Ram Zulai, his face was different. He looks around the room 
And he says, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. When they lowered me down to the bottom, I started to walk down this long, dark corridor, like a long tunnel. And I started to see, off to the right, there were these little kubiot, these little small rooms built into the cave. And each step I took, there was another little room and another little room and a room after that. And I realized that each one of the Avot HaKadoshim and the Imahot were in a separate room. But I wouldn't dare walk into the room. I stood outside in the hall. And just then, I saw a figure of a man walking towards me. This man was much bigger than I was. I started to shake out of fear. I didn't know what this was coming at me. I never saw a man that tall. He says, this man walks right up to me, and all when he came close, I was able to make out his beard and his mouth. And he said to me in Hebrew, Ma Shem Shalcha? And I said to him, Shemi Abraham Azulai Mechevron. And he said to me, Ata Rabbi Abraham Azulai Rav Shel Chevron? And I said, yes. Oh. He said to me, we were waiting for you. We were waiting for you to come there. Rabbi Abraham says, I started to tell this person all the terrible things that went on in the last week and the Pasha, the Gzedah from Shamaim. And he said to me, we know. The Avot Agdoshim were praying all week with you that the decree of Shamaim should be batel to save the Jews of Hebron and their lives. We were praying all week with you. We know exactly what's going on. Finally, says Abraham Azulai, I turned back to him and I said to him, Miata, Ma Hashem Shalcha. And he says back to me, Hashem Sheli Eliezer Eved Avraham Avinu. He says, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was standing in front of Damesek Eliezer. I was standing in front of Eliezer Eved, it's the 1500s, Eved Avraham Avinu. I said to him, Ata be'emet Eliezer, he said, Ken, Ani Eved Ne'eman, he says, I never left the side of my master. All these years, I'm here in Ma'arat HaMachpelah, being Mishamesh, my Adon, Abraham Avinu, and being Mishamesh, all the Avot in Imahot, I'm here to take care of them on all their needs. And that's all I do, I'm just taking care of them all day and all night. Avraham Azulai says, Eliezer, Please, I want to meet your master. I want to meet your Adon. I want to meet Abraham Avinu. Eliezer says, Reb Abraham Azulai, I can't be the one to give you permission. Let me go into my Adon, my master. Let me ask him Rashut. Am I allowing you to come in or not? Eliezer goes into one of the cubicles that were off to the side of the Ma'ara. He walks into one stone room and he walks out two minutes later and he says, my master Abraham Avinu is wants to tell you Baruch Haba. He invites you in. He wants you to come in. He was waiting to see you. Please come in. This was the real Tfadalu, you know. the. <laughs> <laughs> so they brought him in. Rabbi Abraham Azulai enters this small room and he says in the corner of the room, there was Abraham Avinu. He says the shine, the light that was coming off of Abraham Avinu's face was so powerful that when he looked at him, he fainted. 
At that minute, Eliezer ran, grabbed Alim, which are leaves from Gan Eden, came running back and put it under his nose to revive him. He woke back up. And this time Eliezer tells Rabbi Ramazulai, don't look at him. You can't look at him and, and live. You know that. Don't look at him. Close your eyes. And he closed his eyes. He only got a tiny glimpse of Abraham Avinu, but he couldn't look. And Abraham Avinu said, Baruch haba Reb Avraham Azulai. How is the, the, my children, how is the children of Hebron? How are the people of Hebron? We were davening all week that this Gezerah from Shamayim should be Batel. Has it been Batel yet? And he says, yes, I sent up the knife. It's already Batel. Oh, Abraham Avinu was so happy. And finally, Rabbi Zulai says, Avraham Avinu, he says, I sent up the knife. I sent up the Hevel. I sent back the rope. But not me. I'm not going back. I'm staying here with you. I already said goodbye to my family. I already said goodbye to my kihila. I'm staying here with you. Abraham Avinu says, Rabbi Abraham, we would love for you to stay with us. However, as a human being, in a goof, it's impossible. Not shaykh. I am ready to be megaleh to you the unbelievable secrets of Torah. But not in a body. Not with a goof. Go back up. Go back to your house. Tell the Jews of Hebron what you saw. Tell them the Avot Akdoshim are with Klal Yisrael. Every Jew. They know exactly what's going on and they pray for every one of us in our tzarot. It's unbelievable. You understand what it means to be rooted. You understand that those roots are alive. And he says then, when you say goodbye and tell everyone what you saw, then tomorrow morning, you'll give your body back to the Maker and your neshama will come back to Ma'arat HaMachpelah and you'll stay with me and we'll learn the Ginze Torah, the secrets of Torah together. Rabbi Ramazai says, when I heard that, I agreed. I came back down the tunnel and he says, as I was walking down the tunnel, all the Avot, Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov, came out from their kubiot, from their little rooms, and they were milaveh. It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. The Rambam writes that the mitzvah of livui, of escorting your guest out, is greater than even the mitzvah of the seuda of the actual hachnasat orchim that you fed your guest. A bigger mitzvah than feeding them is escorting them to the door. All three of Abraham. Can you imagine that? Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov walking Rabbi Abraham Azulai down the hall. And then they stop. They said, we can't go past this point. This point, you go. And then you'll come back to us tomorrow. Rabbi Abraham Azulai walks further. He's under the hole. That's when he screamed to throw down the rope. They threw him down the rope. And the rest of the story we know. Says Rabbi Abraham, he's now turning to his family, to the Keilah. He says, I'm here to say goodbye for real. Tomorrow morning, I'm being taken from Shamayim, and my neshama is going to go back to Marat HaMachpelah. But Klal Yisrael, you have to know. You have to know the Avot HaKdoshim. You have to know that they're praying for you, and they're with you, and they know what you're going through. And you're rooted in them, and that root is alive. Unbelievable. That night, Rabbi Abraham... All night long, he learned Torah. The next morning, he came out to Vatikim to pray. He said goodbye to his family. 
And after Shul, he said goodbye to his congregants and all the Jews of Hebron. And they were crying, Rabbi Abraham, don't leave us. We need you. Everybody needs the rabbi when he's about to die. You know that. <laughs> Up until that point, eh, no, I'm joking. You know I'm joking. Please don't leave. He says, this is what we decided. He went back to his home. He lay down on his bed. And with his family surrounded him, he said, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. His neshama left him upon uttering the word Echad. And they buried his body. This was the Friday, two days ago, Friday Parashat Chayesara. That's his yard site. Friday Parashat Chayesara. They took his body and they buried him in the cemetery right next to Hebron, right next to Marat HaMachpelah in Hebron. And sure enough, legend has it that his neshama returned to, like, like the deal, to learn the amazing Sodota Torah from Abraham Yitzhak and Yaakov. Ay, 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 look at the roots, look what we have. Look what's behind us, look what we're connected to. And it's so alive, and it's so real. And the next time you pray Amidah, you can hear their voices behind us. You can feel their presence. We have a backing. We have a gav. We have roots that are unbelievable. We could be tiny people, but we stand on the shoulder of giants. And you know what happens? Even when a tiny person stands on the shoulder of a giant, they're a giant too. That's what makes the Jewish people giants. Don't ever forget who you are. Thank you for listening.